0: Show number 67 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. What number did I say? You said 67. 67. Oh, that's right. Okay. Wow, show number 67. So we're back with a real show yes, this time. Yes, with Yay. voices and, and, and talking Thanks and making noise. Thanks for being noise. so patient with yes. us because there was just a lot of stuff happening. But we hope that you all enjoyed our, our In Lieu of a Podcast thing last week. And you made a really good
1: point to me earlier. Right. Yeah. Um, we know a lot of people get the show automatically downloaded from iTunes because they're subscribed to it. And so, you know, they're automatically getting the show, the sound part. But we do post a lot of stuff to the blog. Um First of all, for the show, there's links to many of the things we talk about, but also in between shows, we put stuff mm-hmm. up on the blog. Yep. So, in addition to listening to us, you may want to go check out lookathisbutt.blogspot.com mm-hmm. because you'll find more wonderful Shatnerness, even more. If you can believe it, with a mouthful of cookie. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, we just. Um, We just blew ourselves (laughs) out on Boston Legal here, and so we needed to have cookies just to get through this part of the show because we are so hungry. It's true.
0: We just had to get our blood sugar up a little bit. So we just watched And now it's through the roof. Wee, (laughs) wee. We're sugar charged! (laughs) So I wrote down that we started watching five episodes of Boston Legal at 5.23, and we finished at 6.54.
1: And I now have carpal tunnel in my fast-forward (laughs) thumb. Because, uh, you know, we we were really brutal this time in not watching anything that wasn't No, any. we just went right through it. So. But, you know, it was very easy, and I want to share with everybody why. And if they've been watching Boston League, I would be interested to know if you agree. The show right before these five mm-hmm. was Son of the Defender, mm-hmm. with the great flashbacks to young Bill. And that was such an outstanding episode. And I think they all sat back and went... Oh, I got nothing. I just... I <laughs> did it all. And so, the five episodes we watched, I found very formulaic. Mm-hmm. For the most part, very flat. Mm-hmm. Um, predictable developments. Just... And I mean, of course we watched all the bill parts because, you know, watching what he's doing is always wonderful and fun. But the the shows themselves were not memorable. No, and there was way too much relationship stuff. There was... Relationship stuff that did not
0: involve him. Oh yes, that's what I mean. Um, so there was um, Brad and Denise, and then there was Ellen and his girlfriend, the Judge Gloria. And then there was. And can I just say Gloria is one of the names I really don't like. <laughs> um, and then Denise is another. Yeah. There's hundred.
1: Oh. <laughs> Batting hundred on
0: names. Um, Clarence and uh, Bitchy do. Oh, yeah. Totally So there was just a lot of that. And really, it was pretty painful because you could tell when it was one of those relationship things. We were fast-forwarding. Characters looking at each other. Blah, 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 Relationship. Blah, 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 blah. My
1: needs. Blah, 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 blah. You don't blah, blah, blah. Right. And we didn't watch any of that. So that was great. Right. But to bring up some news about good episodes, the shows have submitted, the various shows have submitted their tapes to the Emmy-nominating committee of what mm-hmm. shows they want considered for what. And um, Son of the Defender mm-hmm. is what they submitted for Bill Yay. for Best Supporting. Mm-hmm. And the New Orleans episode, which we thought was absolutely outstanding, is what they submitted for James Spader mm-hmm. for Best Actor. And I really think those were the two best episodes of the, sh- of the season.
0: Mm-hmm. I totally so, um, agree. So Emmy
1: nominations come out in a week or so. so I'm not sure exactly when, mm-hmm. but... Um, Fingers crossed for our guy. Now, how many more shows are there left? One. Just the finale. Yes, and um, the finale is supposed to be on next week, but now it's been preempted because um, ABC wants to do a post-finale after Dancing with the Stars of Now We're Done Dancing. I don't know what the hell it is. (laughs) But um, on BostonLegal.org, they actually had something kind of cute, which was someone had written what they thought would be a good little one-minute commercial for ABC to throw up of Denny and Alan talking about, well, we're on next week. Well, no, because of this dancing. And it it actually is pretty clever. And uh, we might actually go over there and read that in a little bit. But let's get back to these shows. Okay.
0: So I took notes, not very many notes. Um, and I figured we could go through them just to give the highlights of them. So in the first one, um, there was some legal stuff that I don't really remember. So... I didn't take notes on the legal stuff. That's okay. <laughs> um the 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 thing that cracked me up a little bit was um Denny talking about how he's um trying to use
1: the secret. Do you know about this the secret? Um I knew it was a big book and what I know about it is what I got out of this episode, which is pretty much true. That you concentrate really hard on what you want and so the secret to life is is be super greedy and focused about it? Pretty much. It, okay, great. It's pretty, I, I, I can do that. It's pretty much like a super-powered
0: version of wishful thinking. <sighs> so if you wish really, okay. really, 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 really hard, it'll happen.
1: And you don't have to work at no. it? No, no. You don't have okay. to do anything. I'm, we, I'm,
0: I'm 100% with that. You just have that. to wish for it. The, the scary thing is that um, the people who wrote this book, I believe it's a woman, and she may be Australian, um, literally believes that this is true. So if you sit on your couch and if you believe hard enough that checks will come in the mail to you, They will. And if you really believe, if you really, really wish hard enough that your credit card debt goes away, it will.
1: You won't get any bills in the mail. I'd say it probably worked for her because she (laughs) sat there and wished and wished and wished she could write a totally meaningless, stupid thing and make a fucking fortune. Yeah, so
0: that, you know, it worked for her. So anyway, that's, so you don't have to bother reading this book because I've just told you what the secret is. Just (laughs) wish really hard. And the great thing about that is that if you wish hard and it doesn't happen, it's your fault. Because you didn't wish hard enough.
1: Oh! So you
0: can't blame the author of the book, and you can't blame the world, and you can't blame anybody but yourself. It's well, your fault sucks. for not wishing hard enough. So, you
1: know. well, okay, okay. I'm, I'm. My secret then is I'm going to wish really hard that it's not my fault if it doesn't work.
0: Oh well, maybe that'll work for you. That yeah. would be that'd be a good twist. You know, that's
1: actually pretty Kirkian of Kirk outlogicing <laughs> computers.
0: <laughs> maybe you should write a book about that. Yeah. How to out-secret the secret. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I'll call it the secret is out. Yeah. I like that. Okay. By James T. Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the whole point of that little tangent is that um Bill, as Danny Crane, spends most of the episode thinking really hard with his hand here holding mm-hmm. the bridge of his nose in a very Kirk like sort mm-hmm. of thing. Right there, right there. And what he's wishing for is for Raquel Welch to come into mm-hmm. his life. Right. Um so there's lots of shots of him thinking and uh this goes on through the, the whole legal stuff, and honestly, I don't even remember what the legal stuff was at this point. So that was pretty much it. And then at the end, um, just when he thinks that he's going to have his wish fulfilled and that Raquel Welch is going to walk through the door, it turned out to be somebody else. Yeah. Now, did you want to talk
1: about this? I want you to tell who it is, and then uh, I have a comment. Well, the person who walks through the door,
0: they do a little build-up to it because... The, the bailiff comes in and says, oh, there's someone out here for you. And he says, is it a celebrity? Is it a sexual predator? And uh, it turns out to be Phyllis Diller. Yeah. <laughs> Being herself in yeah. crazy clothes and laughing that very distinctive laugh. And she says that um, she did it with him in a foxhole during World War II.
1: Yes. And, and here is my comment. This just really proves how totally fucking ignorant <laughs> all of America is about history. Mm. Because if they had sex in a foxhole during World War II, the latest that could have happened is, correct me if I'm wrong, 1945? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I, what age was Bill <laughs> in 1945? Uh-huh. He would have been like... Uh, Fifteen? Fifteen, yeah, yeah, I was going to say. Fifteen. Yeah, and it really... And Phyllis Diller, too. I mean, yes. she's not that old. <laughs> and it just it just really makes, makes me mad that, that we're that stupid about it. But here's the thing is, like, during the week... When this was on, earlier in the week, I had watched a recent movie, The Inside Man, mm-hmm. which is a, a fun caper movie. I love caper movies, mm-hmm. okay? But the whole point of this, and, you know, I'm going to throw out a spoiler here, kind of, mm-hmm. but um, is that Christopher Plummer mm-hmm. is hiding this secret thing that he did during World War II. Mm-hmm. Is it the secret? No. Oh, okay. But here's the thing. Christopher Plummer is approximately the same age as Bill. And in the movie, they have the gall to say something about, well, 50 years ago. Hmm. What date was it 50 <laughs> years ago? I don't think it was 1942. But it's like, okay, they decided to just forget the fact that it happened more than fifty years right. ago, because World War Two is such a big, huge thing that it's it's a convenient plot device. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. But yes. they don't need that for a plot device with Phyllis Diller and Bill, because yeah. they they could have said, "Oh my God, I, I did her during the Summer of Love," you right, know, right. you know, or, or something, or, anything, like that. or yeah,
0: anything. anything, or backstage at the Oscars, or anything,
1: anything. Yeah. So you know. Clue up, everybody. World War Two It was more than 50 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 1945
0: like... was the end of the war. Right. So we're talking 60 to 70 years. Yeah. Yeah. Long time ago. Um, I just wanted to say a, a one thing about Phyllis Diller, um, which is that it was, she was a good sport coming on and doing this little thing. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I think as many people don't know, she was actually really important in the history of comedy, being one of the first women ever to write her own material and get out there and do these horrible gigs and really work herself Mm -hmm. to death to get some kind of fame in a world that was completely a man's world at that time. And among comedians now, she has a huge amount of respect and is not treated as a joke. Mm -hmm. So... I, I was just a little afraid seeing her in this that people would kind of think, oh, it's that old, unfunny woman. When when she was doing her comedy, she was actually pretty funny. Mm-hmm. And she broke a lot of ground and has a lot of respect in the professional world. So yes. I don't think that the producers of the show were treating her as a joke. No. I think it's just one more in their weird stunt casting that they do on the well, show. Well, and
1: part of her comic character has always been that she is so grossly unattractive. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, she has always played that. And so here's Denny wishing for Raquel Welch, who mm-hmm. incidentally, afterwards, after this show aired, you know, somebody said, you know, did
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: you were mentioned? Bubba and she goes, well, I wish I had known because I'm such a fan of Boston Legal, <laughs> and she would have done it. That's true. So I'm wondering now, do you
0: think Bill ever slept with Raquel Welch? Absolutely. You think he slept with Phyllis Diller? Could have happened. It could have happened, you know. I wouldn't put it past them. I wouldn't put it past them at all. Think you slept with Bernadette Peters? <laughs> <laughs> Before, <laughs> when they were both younger. if, it, yeah, if they encountered each other. Okay. Just I'm just kind of checking because that's yeah. always what I think when well, I see, you know, the stars on the you're show. You're in the right company. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then there was a little bit at the end. There were... Each of these episodes ended with a balcony scene that had different things happening to them. And this one ended with um, a discussion, uh, as usual. And I wrote down the one good line where um, Denny said to Alan, You're never alone on my balcony. Yes. <laughs> that was a nice little catch. Well, I
1: also like the follow-up to it where uh, Alan <laughs> said, Sleep over tonight. And Denny just like... Ugh. You know, you could have just left it at "You're never alone on my balcony," but no, you always have to push. push it. So it was, it was very, it cute. was
0: good, and it was a little bit meta in yeah. that way oh, yeah. because obviously that's you know the way people are reacting. Well, to they the show scene. now
1: reeks of meta. It Everything does. they
0: do is meta. So that was pretty funny. Okay, on to number two. And what I, I one more <coughs> sorry, not that. on to number that, two. That that balcony scene was that they ended up arguing like an old married couple. Oh, yeah, which yes. was really good. I <laughs> thought that they played it really well. That it was written really well, and it just ended up with. You know, um, it's okay. No, no. And and yeah. I was like, you never listen. <laughs> you yes. always do that. Don't look at me. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, they're looking at each other while yes. they're being, having their little spat. So that was good. That was awesome. Well um, So in the next one, uh, the legal stuff revolved around that, that judge, the woman judge that Alan had that. Sex with in her office. Sex. Okay. Um, like that sex. Several episodes ago. Um, so that was that part, and uh, they introduced her here because then they set her up as someone that Alan's actually going to have a relationship with for mm-hmm. no particular reason other than that she's blonde and she wears too much makeup.
1: Well, and also they probably want, you know, we have um, not done an Alan relationship in a very long time. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so they, they felt obligated. So they just picked...
1: Ran- it was his time of month. It was
0: his time of month. They just picked random, hot, blonde woman who had no personality. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other plot, which was much more interesting, was about um, Denny saying something really offensive, <laughs> as portrayed on the show, to a job candidate. Oh, right, right, right.
1: right. Okay, I was blanking. Yeah.
0: Um, so the, uh, the, uh, the legal thing... So there are actually three legal things going on. There was the the, the, the judge, the no personality blonde judge, mm-hmm. who was in some legal trouble for drugs. And we didn't watch any of that, so I don't know what happened. Um, and then there was the other one where some friend of Allen's comes in and wants to sue a department store for selling um, uh, the pornographic dolls. That, Which that are in like real life are the brass. the brass dolls. Yeah. And they're called something else. I can't hear. And then there was some fairly funny comedy with Denny stealing one of the dolls and mm-hmm. looking up its little skirt and kind of lusting looking after. Looking at him, its Looking butt. at its butt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And playing with it in his office and like hastily stowing it under the desk when somebody walks in mm-hmm. with him. So that was good. Um, so the thing that Denny said, the, the guy who was applying for the job happened to be black. And Denny liked him and said to him um, that he was he was very smart and he was really handsome and he was very articulate. Uh, articulate. Which is, of course, the word that got Biden in trouble mm-hmm. when he was saying it. And um, so when questioned about this, he said, well, what he really meant by that was that the guy didn't sound like he was black. And then it got all over the news, and he got in trouble, and blah, blah, blah. So um, I'll just go to the end for a second, um, which was that Shirley decided to call a press conference, and what she ended up saying was that um, it was a stupid thing for Denny to say, but he was actually expressing the reality, which is that when you work in a law firm whose clients are mostly rich white people, you need to talk like rich white people so that you can communicate with them. And that's, she said that that's true for most companies and for a lot of the media and et cetera, which is all true. And that was Mm -hmm. their defense. And that kind of ended it. I mean, there really wasn't anything after that. So the thing was, what they didn't talk about, which for me is the important language thing that goes (coughs) on here, is when, when you say to a person who's not white that they're very articulate and the, the message there is you don't talk like your ethnic group, mm-hmm. it's not about identifying them as a member of an ethnic group. It's a matter of saying, yeah, you don't talk like you're black because black people talk stupid and really inarticulate. hmm but they never talked about that on the show. They never brought that up. They just kept talking about, you know, oh, well, you you know, say that he sounds urban or something like that. That's not it at all. It doesn't matter. It's about the implication that minorities who talk like minorities are inarticulate and therefore can't express themselves and are therefore stupid. Mm-hmm. And not once was that mentioned on the show. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. That's why it's offensive to people, because it implies that you're stupid. Not because you talk like you come from an inner city.
1: Well, I don't know that it implies... Well, okay, maybe I'm taking it a little too far. Um, I don't know that it implies that you are stupid, but certainly it does imply that you do not express yourself well. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, the the flip side is that white people all express themselves well, and Mexicans, Indians, blacks, Asians do not express themselves well. And, Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. I, I mean, and I
0: think, yeah. Uh, so maybe it's not exactly you are stupid, but I think for a lot of
1: people, if you if you aren't articulate, it means you are stupid. But I, <laughs> I, I what I found interesting about this was that Shirley expressed what is to me the more. Public issue, Mm -hmm. which is perception. Mm -hmm. And what Biden was trying to say and said very, very badly is that Obama would be an acceptable candidate to white people because he was a white black, you Mm -hmm. know, or or something like that, you know, that you you have to market yourself that Mm -hmm. way. And it's very strange and unfortunate, but it is the truth of this country that we can make fun of Hillary for going down south and putting on a southern accent to fit in. Mm -hmm. But we cannot express well i don 't I don't like that particular candidate because he sounds black or or whatever or or you know it just makes me uncomfortable he 's not like me whereas barack obama oh yeah he 's he's, he's more like one of us yeah you know. I- very very strange that. It, and, and as Shirley was pointing out, Denny expressed the honest fact. That's mm-hmm. the way things are in mm-hmm. this country. Yeah. Oh,
0: and I, I agree with that completely. And it reminded me, when I was um, in grad school, one of the, the things that I got to do one summer was to teach what they call the Summer Bridge Program. So it was for kids from really crappy high schools to try and get into UC Berkeley. And they would never have had a chance to get in because they went to crappy high schools and then they didn't test very well because they crappy high schools, but they're very smart. So they were, each of these kids was picked and given this chance to, to, you know, like, here's your chance. You know, if you're Mm -hmm. smart enough, you can do this. Summer Bridge program was to teach them all the stuff they never learned in high school. Here's how to write a paper. Here's how to take a test. Here's how to go to class. Here's how to pay attention in class. Like, things Mm -hmm. that most white kids learn because they go to good schools, and if you go to a crappy school, the teachers are too busy trying to keep peace in the classroom, and you don't learn that stuff. Mm -hmm. So the kids were great. They were so smart, and they were so like willing to be there, but this came up with several of them. Why do I have to learn to write like this? Why do I have to learn to express myself in this form? You know, isn't the way I write and the way I talk good enough? And what I said to them was, the way you talk and the way you tell your stories and express yourself is fine. But at college, you won't be judged according to the way you do things. You're going to be judged according to this completely arbitrary standard. Know that it's arbitrary and know that Uh it's mostly the way we think we should talk but it doesn't intrinsically have any more value than the way you talk and mm-hmm. the way you write. You know, understand that about yourself. But you have to learn this other way. Otherwise, you won't get the good grades and you won't graduate. Mm-hmm. Sorry. That's yeah. the way it is. Well, <laughs> and I,
1: I, I think the interesting point to me there is the, the word you used, arbitrary. Because um, much earlier in my career when I was uh, applying for jobs, and it would say um, college degree required, it never said what the degree had to be in. Mm-hmm. And I have always felt that in many fields, college is the arbitrary hurdle that shows, okay, you did you did this. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it opens up all kinds of doors for you. Now, certainly there are fields where you learn very, very specific things like medicine. Sure. You know, I don't want a doctor who never made it through <laughs> medical school. But, you know, I was a theater major, but I could walk into an awful lot of jobs and apply for them. Mm-hmm. Just because I have the piece of paper, and that that to me totally expresses how arbitrary that hurdle and that standard is. Yeah,
0: it is completely. I mean, all all of the the higher learning stuff, the SATs and all that, measures things in very arbitrary ways. And and really no reflection on how intelligent or capable someone happens to be. Mm -mm. But those are the rules, unfortunately. And I always encourage the students, it's like, you know what, once you get your degree... Change the rules, right? You do it, you know. You push mm-hmm. and, and you work for it, and you talk about it. And you know, doing linguistics—that was one of the things that we were very interested in pushing. You know, mm-hmm. and it's reminding people that a lot of it is completely arbitrary.
1: Well, and it's also, you know, like they say about poetry, that you should not be allowed to write free-form poetry until you actually can write a decent sonnet, which is a very strict form. And the idea is you have to know and understand and be able to use the rules. Before you can break them. Mm-hmm. So I think the problem is when people associate value
0: with with the arbitrary rules. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean intrinsic value as opposed to value in the society. Which is what Shirley was saying. That right. certain ways of talking and, and writing have value in society. And others don't. But it's mm-hmm. not intrinsic to them. Right. That's the important thing. So it was an interesting way to wrap it up. Because I was kind of yeah. curious as to what she was going right. to say. Right.
1: Um, The other point is that there were a whole bunch of people we never, ever saw before, but apparently are the administrative partners. (laughs) A bunch of old white guys. Uh, Yeah, who who got together and decided they were going to fire Denny, and Shirley overruled them. Mm -hmm. But uh, one of the themes that is developing this this end-of-the-season build-up thing is that um, Denny is going outside the parameters of what's acceptable Mm -hmm. more and more in ways that hurt the firm. Mm -hmm. So... Although somehow I don't think they're going to fire him. No, but um, it was an, an interesting, oh, this was in a later episode where Shirley had a discussion with mm-hmm, him about right. it. Right, so we can, that's in two episodes. From okay, <laughs> let's go ahead. Episode three, okay. or was oh, there anything more? So the
0: only thing was at the very end of the episode, um, Alan and Denny ended up talking about politics. Right.
1: In a very uh, sort of jam the politics into the balcony scene sort of way, it didn't work. I agree. Didn't work. So that was that. Although
0: Denny say said that he would vote for Obama, which was kind of interesting. <laughs> he said because he doesn't stand for anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's president. I can I can, take. I can get behind. Okay, third episode. Um, the one of the things was the guy who who cured him not cured himself was spontaneously cured of HIV. That was one thing. And the other one was um, the judge trying to get her off of the drug thing. The blonde judge with too much makeup. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so I don't remember anything about it. The only thing that was good was the conversation on the balcony at the end. And that was what? <laughs> that was, um, when Denny was saying to Alan, um, talking about him, um, being in love. They were having this discussion. Oh, yeah. Like but I, I have to say, I forgot to write this down, but, um, there was a, a, a subplot to that where, uh, Denny was very attracted to the judge and kept hitting on her. Mm -hmm. And um, when Alan finally confronted him about this and said, you know, you need to stop doing that, he said, I love this woman. Which I just, I really like that because that's the first thing he ever says when he's attracted. He just falls in love instantly. She could be number six or number seven, whatever we're
1: up to on that. I love this woman. Mm -hmm.
0: So that was interesting because it led into their discussion later on about love. And the one thing that I just thought this was a really nice crossover with Bill, of course, when he's talking about how scary it is to be in love. And he says, being in love is everything. And I was thinking, that's, oh, pure, that's, Bill. Bill, that's,
1: that's so pure Bill. That's Bill. That's so Bill. It
0: is. It was. You could just see how much he was loving getting to say those mm-hmm. lines. It was all yes. about him. Yes. And then you know they just talked about how long Alan was saying how long it's been since he's been in love with a woman, and in these series where. Alan's having this, I'm putting quotes relationship with the judge. It's constantly being contrasted to his relationship with Denny. Right. It's, and it's very obvious. that they're Yes. Doing this. Yes. Not is. subtle at all.
1: No, 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 But
0: I love that. Okay. It's everything. That was great. Um, so then the fourth episode had, uh, the stunt casting of Bernadette Peters as the judge.
1: And She looks bad. Yeah. I think she's had too much work done. She's had too much work. And even outside of the work, She is still doing her hair and her makeup the way she's done it since she was 18. Yeah. And that's a bad choice. Mm -hmm. That is a really bad choice. Yeah, and her
0: hair's the same color, too, I Mm -hmm. noticed. You'd think she would, like, look a little more her age. Something. So, uh, she was the judge, and uh, she... As the judge has a reputation for telling lawyers, male lawyers, presumably, I don't know what she does with female lawyers, male lawyers who come into her chambers to tell them to drop their pants. So now we've seen two different judges, her and Alan's girlfriend, who are sluts. Mm-hmm. So I guess pretty much if you're a female judge, you're a slut, right? You just sleep with anybody and everybody else.
1: Well, and it's also that, okay, they, they rarely have judges who do not have some weird quirk. Mm-hmm. But isn't it interesting that that's the only weird quirk they can come up with for a woman? I mean, why couldn't a woman be the poopycock judge? Yeah. Or any of the other weirdnesses they've Mm -hmm. come up with, you know? And, of course, the two female judges, because there have been other female judges on the show, and they've been older,
0: Mm -hmm. and they've been, you know, standard older woman looking, but the two female judges who they made sluts were the really hot ones. Mm -hmm. The one, the blonde one, and then Bernadette Peters, who... Mm-hmm. is made up to look like she's supposed to be hot and wears, in, the, in that one scene, that very, very low-cut thing where her tits are falling out of right. it. Right. So, if you're a female judge and you're hot, then you're a slut. Yeah. Is what Boston Legal is telling us. So, thanks for that. Yeah. Because I never would really realize that, you know? If I end up
1: in court, you know, I, I will know what sort of things to look for. Exactly.
0: Um, so, th- there was a whole... Oh God. The whole plot around that was that uh, Alan was defending a guy who was accused of being a terrorist uh, who was a... Um, uh, British guy, but had a Middle Eastern background. And I firmly believe that they really should have cast, um, Alexander Siddig, who played Dr. Bashir in that role, because mm-hmm. that would have been perfect. <laughs> so maybe he was too busy. I don't know, but that should have been him. Um, and then there's a lot about how Denny doesn't like Alan's girlfriend pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the, the other thing that started to come back here was that, um, Jerry Espenson had been featured in several of these episodes, Mm -hmm. and they were all building up towards him coming back to the front. And in this one, he goes, um, Jerry goes to Shirley to apply for his job back. And um, the best part was when he goes for an interview with Denny, and Denny says to him, what are your intentions towards Alan?
1: (laughs) Well, the other thing I like is, really is, good. It, is the opening scene where Jerry's applying oh, right. for right. his job and telling Shirley he wants to come back. And she's going, you threatened to kill me, you know, and, you know, the whole thing. And she says, well, you know, it's such an outrageous request that I will consider it. And he goes, oh, I'm so happy. I just have a song in my head. And she goes, really? And he says, yes, yeah, just coming over here. I had this song and I was humming it to myself. And she goes, well, what is it? And, you know, hum it for me. And he he doesn't hum he starts singing it and it's the boston legal theme the whole theme and they played the theme over it of him going bow, bow, bah, 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 bah. and he was so funny because they're showing the the cuts that mm-hmm. they they normally show behind that but they keep cutting to him grooving <laughs> grooving groovin and singing and oh it was very funny very clever it was really really good so
0: that was great um and uh there, there, so now Denny is having to be jealous of both Alan's girlfriend and also jealous of Jerry coming back. And I was wondering if he's going to
1: have a meltdown. I don't know. He was pretty perturbed. Yeah, he was. He's being attacked on both sides. Oh, really? In his point of view. Um,
0: and then the balcony scene, they talked about Hillary Clinton.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and I want to talk about that because Alan's saying, oh, I find her her sexy in a praying mantis in a knee-length skirt <laughs> sort of way. And you know, I've mentally undressed her and everything, and, and they're going on about this. And I was laughing, 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 because in recent weeks this has been on several different news things in in newspapers reported that, you know, they're asking Bill Clinton, well, what TV shows do you like? And he loves Boston Legal. Oh, there you go. So I think this was their little, you know, tip of the hat mm-hmm. to him, having Alan show. I think, that uh, Hillary's really hot. Uh-huh.
0: So that was really, really funny. Um, and then it kind of turned into more of a discussion about uh – how difficult it is to have relationships with women. And, and at one point, um, they end up Denny and Alan talking about how good their friendship is. And Alan says, that's why I fell for you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So fifth episode, where are my notes? Oh, I have the wedding written down. That's it. This is my only note on that whole episode. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, Brad and Denise get married and have a baby instantly
1: instantly yeah Yeah. and that was the bulk of the episode the other thing though having to do with denny and i need to bring it up is um jerry of course who got his job back now first case he's assigned is to defend a woman who's suing her landlord because he has a no pets clause and she has a duck Mm -hmm. and the duck is her emotional support animal and at one point as a joke Denny comes in and fires off a shotgun Mm -hmm. at the duck. And it's not Laura, it's just a joke. And Bill does this real funny little Mm -hmm. flap of his wings when the duck flaps at him. But um, then the duck dies. It has a heart attack, and, Mm -hmm. and, and it dies. And so Shirley goes to Denny and says, This is getting really old and embarrassing, and you've got to pull back, or I will fire you. I don't want to, but I will. And then she says, why? Why do you do these things? And it was a really wonderful scene of Denny explaining how, you know, he used to have people always wanting him on the case, and now nobody wants him on the case. And and he said, and you're old too, Shirley. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's very blunt about it. And she goes, oh, you know, you think of yourself the way you want to, and I'll think of myself the way I want to. And he goes, no, you're old, and we're both rich. We don't need to work, so why do we mm-hmm. come in? And then he said, you know... We, we continue to do it, even though the world belongs to the young. Mm-hmm. You know, to come in here is better than, than sitting home, and to play these silly jokes is better than acting my age. Mm-hmm. And I just found it really moving. It was good. And it, it was really good. But again, it does set up this thing that Shirley's being put in a very bad position of mm-hmm. having to continue to defend him mm-hmm. when he's getting into the indefensible. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was it was good. I thought um,
0: Bill was really great in
1: that scene. He
0: was very low key and very open and honest, Mm -hmm. and and you know, doing that thing where he really gets in touch with that character. Mm -hmm. You know, you really feel like Denny is as much as he goes on about the mad cow and everything like that. He really knows what's going on. He understands what's Mm -hmm. happening, and when he does things like firing off the shotgun, it's not that he's crazy. It's to to save something. Yes. You know, to still have something. To
1: have someone notice him. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. So, that was good. That was a good scene. And it mm-hmm. looks like they're going to have, from the coming attraction that we saw for the finale, it looks like they're going to build some more on that. Yes. And have something happen. Something is going to happen. Yeah. <sighs> so, that was a whole lot of stuff. Was there anything else in that last episode? I kind of don't remember.
1: Um. Oh, the Stanley Cup. <laughs> Yeah, at the beginning, Bill had the Stanley Cup. And we're wondering, is it the real Stanley Cup? But he was going to engrave his name on it. Alan stopped him. But then at the end, they have the Stanley Cup with them, so with them out on the balcony. And they decide they're going to drink out of it. Mm-hmm. So they each take a, a swig out of the Stanley Cup. And it was really fun. And, and Alan then, says it's going to be a lot of scotch. Yes. <laughs> and... uh and then Denny, you know, sets it on the the edge of the balcony so mm-hmm. they can take a picture. And Alan says, "Be careful!" Oh, don't worry. P- boom! And it goes over the edge, mm-hmm. and they kind of hightail it out of the office. Yeah, <laughs> yes, with with uh, Bill moving very Jackie Gleason with that sort of arm thing yes. going on, you know. Um oh, that was good. So that was very funny. Yeah, that so, was that was pretty much it. Yeah. So the way. Oh, and
0: and uh, in the episode before that, Bethany was in it for two point five seconds. Yes, and had no lines. Had no lines. Yes. Uh, she just overheard Bill saying that all women are uh, unstable. Right. <laughs> Big ones, little, little ones, ones. <laughs> and then she leaves and he
1: goes. Oh, little ones are the most What's unstable the of ones? all. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows? I mean, uh, and I think you can tell by the 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 quick run through we've given you of these episodes that they were very uh formulaic yeah they were you know yeah and strange the- case a lot of relationship crapola yeah and then a balcony scene
0: yeah and yeah. the cases we noticed in at least two or three of the ones that we just watched there was only one case and not the two that they normally mm-hmm. have going on
1: simultaneously because they were really i think first of all they were being very pressured to move and it showed the brad and denise Uh, relationship along quickly because the actress is very hugely pregnant and they wanted to get them married. Right. So, uh, we were getting a lot of a time and strange, strangeness going on with them. Yep. So, that's
0: all over with, and who knows what's going to happen now, because she had the baby, um, yeah. and they're married and all that, and aren't we happy? Um, I, I just wanted to mention um, the, the casting. So, I recognized in the credits of that last episode, Chuck McCann, who is a comedian, who was um, did a lot of commercials and stuff, and he was on Sesame Street for a while. He was Aww. the judge in that last case.
1: Oh, okay. All so,
0: right. I, I it, <laughs> whoever's doing the casting, it's just, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Really hit
1: and miss. Sometimes it's it's really good, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's just weird. Well, like, we love the Howard Hessman judge. Love and you. you didn't really watch this, but of course I did, which was the whole, uh, the case that went on during the, that mm-hmm. last episode, which was the priest, in, in, at the beginning of the wedding, was hauled away for mm-hmm. harboring um, illegal aliens in the church. And the priest was played by, I don't know his Michael real name. Michael oh thank you yeah. but he played Stephen keating um on well, facts not uh, facts <laughs> sorry what's it called the michael j fox show yeah he was michael j fox's father yeah. um anyway yeah and uh, and he's really good oh yeah and so i wouldn't mind if we got a follow up to him doing some i don't know outrageous jailbreak or something yeah. that would be good cuz he's a good actor it
0: it's interesting when they i mean Shows always do the kind of casting where they cast people and and you're like, oh, I remember that person, I remember that person. But Boston Legal has taken it a step further, I think, in casting people who are very much identified with certain characters. Mm -hmm. Like when you see Michael Gross, you go, oh, it's Michael J. Fox's dad. Yeah. And he hasn't done a whole lot of work since that show. Family Ties. Family Ties. Thank you. He hasn't done, at least that I know of, a ton of work. I saw him on Law & Order. He's been Mm -hmm. on that at least once where he played a really slimy guy and was very good at playing Mm -hmm. a slimy guy. He's good. Um, but it's, it's that kind of thing where you see people that you kind of don't expect to see in these roles. So, Mm -hmm. you know, good for them for reaching out and, and casting people that you might not expect. Yep. So that's been good. Oh my gosh. So that's like half an hour. Okay. We we should go get some food. Let's get some dinner. So we have so much fun stuff. I'm crashing from the sugar high. Um, I think one of the things we will do in the, in the, the next part you can stay tuned for is we're going to do a little reading aloud of something by Bill, we think. Yeah. We think, so stay tuned for that.
1: Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before.
0: We want to hear from you. Leave comments at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. Send email to lookathisbutt at gmail.com. This entire podcast recorded on an Apple PowerBook with GarageBand. This is TSFPN.com, the Sci-Fi Podcast Network you found the best podcasts in the universe. So, I, I think they're having a like end-of-school party or something is what's going on outside. Yeah, you may
1: hear some woo and you know, all of that and think, wow, they've got a live audience party going no, on. No, it's unfortunately, just... Unfortunately, this is not true. My neighbor
0: children are having some kind of party out there. So uh, Okay. Anyway.
1: So, we're going to visit Iowa at the beginning <laughs> of this segment. Or at least talk about it. I think we're going to talk about it. Okay. That's what we're going to do. So, so here's what has happened. Um, the power of the interwebs. <sighs> Isn't it amazing? When we posted our I Am podcast, which was all written because I couldn't speak, <laughs> we mentioned that um, a bar in Riverside, which mm-hmm. you all remember from Invasion, Iowa, mm-hmm. claims it is the place where James T. Kirk is conceived. Yes. Pretty amazing. So... We get a response, and I want you to read it. Sure. So this was left on our blog, and the comment said,
0: Hey there, just stumbled onto this page. I was a producer on Invasion Iowa, and I fondly recall Murphy's Bar and Grill, where JTK will eventually be conceived, the perfect spot for a beer and a deep-fried meal. (laughs) So, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, so we're very happy to have a producer from Invasion Iowa reading our blog,
1: and hopefully maybe listening to some of these episodes. Hopefully. Now, also, on this topic, we got... Uh, a, an email Coincidentally. from Cheryl, who has sent us many, many things. She's one of our regular listeners, and here's what she has to say. Ladies, I'm in Des Moines. Riverside is an easy day trip from here. Mm-hmm. I asked my non-drinking husband, Honey, do you want to go to a bar in Riverside? Why? They claim Captain Kirk will be conceived there, and the Buck girls want someone to check it out. Sure, I guess. There's a fine man. Unfortunately, I love this. Our local source for Trek Arcana is unavailable at present, i.e. in jail. (laughs) So apparently being a Trek expert is illegal in Des Moines. But Riverside isn't that big. It can't be too hard to find. I did just look up Riverside on a map. It's just a few miles from an Amish (laughs) enclave. The mind boggles. In other news, thanks to your inspiring example, I have learned how to transfer episodes from DVD onto an iPod. A aforementioned husband thinks I'm a genius for that. Mm -hmm. So I wrote back, said two thumbs up, your husband for being a good sport and that it is called Murphy's Bar and mm, Grill. Because now we know. And uh, she writes back, and this just came in today as we're recording, saying it may be a week or two until we get over there. Damn day jobs. Maybe they will be open Memorial Day. Very so exciting. we can look uh, forward, hopefully this summer, to having a report from on Murphy, the place Murphy's where... where and Grill. Cheryl, uh, take pictures. Please oh, take pictures. We'll post them all. And talk to people. Yeah. Talk to people about this. Talk to the bartender, the owner. Mm-hmm. You know, tell them you're there representing this podcast, which has very favorably reviewed Invasion oh. in Iowa. Thought the townspeople were Absolutely. lovely and wonderful, mm-hmm. and we're big fans of all of them.
0: Yeah.
1: And that you're there as our foreign correspondent. Yeah. And of course, the beers for you and hubby are on us. <laughs> Yay! We are very excited so about awesome. that. So
0: that's that's a great thing. So that's gonna that's an ongoing thing. So we'll keep you posted as we hear more about that. Yep. Do you think he was conceit? Where do you think it happened? In a bathroom? In a booth? Under a table? In the, the back? In the back?
1: In the parking lot? I see. I think it was the parking lot. The bar could not really claim the credit. So I'm thinking the uh the the back of the bar yeah. or up against the jukebox oh
0: that's a good one yeah so do you think marjorie was like a waitress there or what or maybe we'll have maybe, to ask
1: her the next time she shows up maybe
0: george was a um a, a bartender in his spare time or or did they just go there for a drink one night and and got drunk and snuck off and you know
1: well, I'm thinking <clears throat> if she was a waitress or whatever, he was home on leave or mm-hmm. about to go off into Starfleet, mm-hmm. you know, and talked her into, you know, let me have this fond memory to remember <laughs> and uh off they went. That that's what I'm guessing. All right. We we will welcome other other uh interpretations. We
0: might need to write a story about this. when we get when we get the report back from Cheryl I think we should write a story I think we may have to yeah hey yeah
1: maybe (gasps) maybe it's a bar down the street from the Nexus Diner (laughs) it could be and and was it
0: one of the years when the space circus came to town (laughs) I think so and they, they got
1: they got high on um space um what's that sponge sugar stuff
0: cotton candy cotton candy space cotton candy
1: yep that would be pretty funny that would be good and you
0: have to write marjorie's stuff
1: (laughs) well of course yeah yes marjorie and i are each other's muses (laughs) okay so let's do that let's write a story okay so cheryl the pressure's on get us that report okay
0: good All right, next on the list, this one, right?
1: Yes, you were going to handle that. I'm going
0: to do this. So this is just um, very quick, and this was um, sent to us by our good friend David Arroyo, who um, brought to our attention that um, George Takei has recently been doing a lot of press because he's in that series, Heroes. Which is a big hit. Which is a big hit, and he's very good in it. And So he's... Doing lots of interviews and stuff like that. So um, in this, it's a long interview over at Comic Book Resources, and mostly it's about heroes and and some of the political stuff that he was doing. But he had this very funny story about um, Bill, so I wanted to read just this part. He says... Um, the the interviewer had said um, one final question now that you're a part of Heroes do you ever call Bill Shatner and say you know I could take your Boston legal ass any day with Heroes (laughs) so George says it's a funny thing with Bill that man can't say no my aunt married a Canadian when we finished the three seasons of Star Trek I flew to Canada to visit with my aunt and uncle and my cousins I was watching TV on a Saturday afternoon in Toronto Canada and the ads are all local businesses all of a sudden there's Bill Shatner hawking a local furniture store (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, this weekend only, this beautiful couch, come on down. I was sitting there thinking, Bill, you just finished three seasons as the lead in a TV series. What are you doing on a Saturday afternoon on a local TV station selling bargain sofas? That man. Bill shills. Bill will shill for anything. So even then, three seasons of Star Trek finished, there he is in Canada selling furniture on TV. Yeah. And then, you know, just recently doing all those um, lawyer shills that we saw Mm -hmm. him doing. So Bill has a
1: long history of shilling for anything. And he's right.
0: He can't say no. Absolutely
1: not. Well, and here's the thing about Bill and Schilling is it's easy money for actors. It's mm-hmm. very good money. And unlike many other actors who say, well, I'll show for something in Japan mm-hmm. because it's never going to hurt my image over here. Bill is right up front about, mm-hmm. give me the bucks. What, what do you want me to say? This is very true. Yep, I agree. So good for him. Yeah. So Shatner weekend. Shatner weekend, and you know what? We didn't go to it. We didn't go. It has come and gone. We could not go this year. We had a lot of uh, stuff going on, you know, in our personal lives that were interfering with our professional podcasting lives. We do
0: have day jobs. We yeah, and families and (laughs) things like that,
1: you know. But anyway, we did hear about it, and mm-hmm. once again, this was a much larger group this year. I believe they had 29 or 27 wow. attendees, something like that. And um, again, they visited the Boston legal set on the last day of filming. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them saw uh, a scene Bill was filming, mm-hmm. and some of the others saw um, a scene that um, I believe Candace Bergen was filming. So not everybody got to see the same thing, but our good friend Itty went mm-hmm. and uh, they had an auction as they did last year, a silent auction and what she bought just amazing is the shorts with the target on them from that episode of Boston Legal mm-hmm. and so I asked, of course, if she had tried them on <laughs> and or sniffed them. <laughs> She's so classy. Here's what she says: I've rolled in them like a dog does poo. <laughs> That's the only right
0: response, really.
1: <laughs> really, yeah. And um, so the question that occurs to me now is, you know, what would you do with uh, William Shatner's boxer those, shorts? Oh, I'd
0: definitely be trying them on, that's yeah. for sure. And I'd probably roll around with them and yeah. take him
1: to bed with me and, you know, like that. Would you, like, wear them under your clothes for a special occasion or wear them outside your clothes for a very special occasion? I don't think I'd let them leave the house, frankly. No. No, I don't think I would.
0: I think I'd want to I think I'd want to
1: just keep them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also asked her if it came with a certificate of authenticity uh, yeah. that these were the uh-huh. shorts actually worn by uh-huh. Belle. And she said not exactly, but she did have to sign a thing saying that she was not going to resell these, uh-huh. that this was a personal collector's item. I wonder if they were
0: marked in any way. Like said, you know, Shatner. Yes, Shatner slash yeah, because they do that with costumes, frame, right? Yeah, Usually they do. On the inside, they'll mm-hmm. put in the actor's name. So yeah, I'd be very interested. We should ask her. Yeah. Whether they
1: say Shatner on the Yeah. Or well, it. I know Itty listens to the show, so Itty, we need more complete information I, on the shorts. I
0: want everything on the shorts. I want to know what brand they are. Oh, I want to know yeah. What they're made of. The like, size. The size. Any um, stains? Stains. Ela- do they have an elastic waistband? You know, were they altered in any way? You know, like mm-hmm. with seams or, or darting or anything like that. I want to
1: know all of that stuff. Are bills, lines written on them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Are they ripped? You know, <laughs> <laughs> to go with the ripped shirts. You know, that's something Boston Legal hasn't done. Is a ripped, a ripped shirt. shirt.
0: I, you know, leave it on long enough, <clears throat> and they'll get around to it. I'm I pretty, imagine they will. sure they would. Yeah, yeah definitely. Oh, so that was exciting. Um, so the Shatner weekend, I think, in general, sounded um, pretty much like our weekend. They did it was. some of the same stuff. Yeah, they went to the, the Hollywood
1: Museum. Mm-hmm. They went to the horse show. They went and saw Bill's footprints, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, they went to the horse show. Um, yeah, and it, it sounds like they all had had a wonderful time, mm-hmm. and that Bill and Elizabeth were charming and gracious. Mm-hmm. And if you're interested, up on Shatner Vision, there are several videos from that of, you know, fans from the the Shatner Weekend meeting him. Mm-hmm. And and so there's quite a, quite a lot of it on Shatner Vision if mm-hmm. you want to get a little more experience with
0: yeah. it. Yeah, so it's nice that they have more people this year. Mm-hmm. So I guess they're going to continue it if they can. If they can get those it. kind
1: of numbers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So good for them. And then what was it about the chairs? Oh, yes. I think it was Eddie who actually did get to go out on the balcony oh, and sit in the, chair. in the chairs. Mm-hmm. And she said they're plastic.
0: Really? Yes. Wow. I guess they are. Well, you know, I'm going to have to go look online and see what what they're made out of. Yeah. I'm sure it's not plastic. I'm sure it's a really fancy word that means
1: plastic. Plastic. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like Shatner Weekend was a roaring success. Yeah. That's great. Um.
0: Oh, you know, we forgot to bring the magazine. Oh, no, you have it right over there. Do oh, you want to okay. read some of the stuff out of there? Well, why don't you talk
1: about something while I'm looking at it. Oh, okay, sure.
0: (laughs) So I wanted to mention very briefly just one thing that I had noticed. So um, as I've mentioned before, I am a faithful reader of Will Wheaton's blog. And he had a couple things recently. One was just sort of a teaser. Um, He said, uh, speaking of, he says, speaking of Star Trek, did you know that TNG turns 20 this fall, 1987? And that was... During World War II, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: Will says, I just got home from a meeting which was all about that. Oh, man, there are some really, really cool stuff on the horizon. Without saying anything that will get me into the kind of trouble that results in the hands-on touch you only get with hired goons, I would like to point out that this is going to be a great year to be a Trekkie. So that sounds really good. It sounds like there's Mm -hmm. some stuff happening that could happen in the fall. So I'm excited about that. If Will says it, I believe it. He also has another review of um, a TNG episode up at um, TV squad. So he's going in order from uh, the first season. So this is um, an episode that was called Haven. And this is the one where uh, Deanna was supposed to get married to some guy that she'd been betrothed to as a child. And, who was never ever mentioned again, ever. Right, right. <laughs> well, kind of like to pring. Kind of like to pring, just <coughs> as uh, Sunbeam had pointed out. So I just wanted to read a little bit of it to give you the flavor, because Will is just so funny. And, and this is a fairly long review, but the first couple of paragraphs are great. So the synopsis The Enterprise is in orbit around a planet known as Haven, a planet so beautiful, Picard tells us. Legends say it has mystical healing powers. Data intelligently points out that the legend is entirely unsupported by fact. So Picard gives him a copy of Loose Change and The Secret to straighten him out <laughs> <laughs> on the whole facts versus bullshit thing. <laughs> Isn't that funny? We were just like, yes. Yeah. Yar calls Riker out of his quarters, where he's been watching two holographic young women play the harps together. Mm. Uh, yeah, I have an easier. Yeah, we know I, what that means. He says, "I have an easier time suspending my disbelief for faster-than-light travel and kids on the bridge than accepting a dude alone in his quarters pulls up two pretty young holographic women to play harps together." <laughs> Riker arrives in the transporter room and wants to know what was so goddamn important that Yar had to call him away from his harp watching thing. It turns out there's an object from Haven waiting to be beamed aboard the ship. Riker, vision of harp playing nymphs dancing in his head, tells her to beam the stupid object over already. Transporter Chief Buffalo Bill puts the lotion in the basket and beams over a mysterious box. What's in the box? Should they trade the red snapper for what could be inside? (laughs) Red snapper is very tasty, but there could be anything inside. (laughs) There could even be a boat in there. (laughs) So that's it.
1: That's very good. I just good. love
0: the fact that he's writing these reviews, mm-hmm. and he gives a—he wasn't actually in this episode, so he didn't have any personal remembrances, mm-hmm. but he talked a little bit about um, some of the people on the show and reminded folks that the script writer here was Tracy Torme, who is Mel Torme's son, by the way, mm-hmm. like, in case people didn't know that, who was a long-time writer for Trek and wrote a lot for TNG, and I think also for DS9 as Oh, well, cool. And said Tracy was a, a great writer, so there you go. So I'll put the link up. You
1: guys should go read the rest of it, because it is really funny. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. As members of William Shatner's Fan Club, we, of course, get the newsletter magazine Mm. called The Best of Times. And we just wanted to share a little bit of what's in this current one. And uh, it's Bill talking about his upcoming autobiography, Mm -hmm. which we've mentioned earlier, that is called Me So Far. Not Me So Horny, but we all know. And uh, he has a contract with Thomas Dunn Books. And he is working with David Fisher, who has written several as-told-to autobiographies. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bill says, uh, one of the difficulties is the facts of his life are pretty well enumerated, but how my thinking has changed over the years is something that I have to clarify within myself. Um, it's a real soul-searcher, and it's very difficult. And I'm, I'm sort of skipping around, and he says, those are very difficult questions to answer. To be revealing, but not too revealing. I mean, how far do you reveal yourself? Where does it get icky? And when does it get warm and interesting and open enough to share? I'm wrestling with that.
0: Somehow I have a hard time imagining Bill
1: saying the word icky. I know. It doesn't seem like a word he would use. But this this whole little article, which is like six paragraphs, is a direct quote. Yeah. So, so um, we learned something new. Bill uses the word icky. Yeah. Um, I want to know how much he's going to be revealing. Yeah, well, it kind of reminds me of uh, the interview with him when he was in a play post-Star Trek in which he had to fake having sex on stage mm-hmm. and have an orgasm. And he said, you know, how much do you reveal about your own personal performance, he said, are you a screamer or aren't you? And I think the fact that he even brought that up indicates he is a screamer. Well, yeah, you know,
0: because why else would you pick that specific thing? Right,
1: right, (laughs) right. So um, this will be very interesting because certainly the earlier, what was supposed to be an authorized biography, which he Mm deauthorized because he didn't like it.
0: The one that I have that I made him sign. Uh, Yes, (laughs) I have it too, but unsigned,
1: but oh my God. It really reveals a lot, and there are so many great pictures. And he's talking about sex on, like, Constantly. every other page. Yeah,
0: sex is just the metaphor for everything for him. For his whole life. Everything. Just everything.
1: So, um, so we'll be looking forward to totally. me so far. Me
0: so far. And we'll probably read passages of it out loud. Yeah. Because I'm sure there will be
1: a lot of really quotable stuff. I think it. we may have to do a whole show. <laughs> At least a whole show. I hope it's full pictures. Oh, that would be great. Yay. Yeah. <gasps> Um, coming up, so everybody will know, on June 1st, oh, yeah. Bill is going to be on the Henry Rollins show, mm-hmm. which is on one of the premium cable channels. It's on IFC. Yes, I- you're right, IFC. Yeah. And, uh, I get IFC, but I'm going to be out of town, so everybody cross your fingers for me <laughs> that I am going to master timer record, which mm-hmm. I've been failing pretty dismally at, so that we'll be able to get that. That will be very interesting.
0: Oh, and I just had a brief thing that I wanted to mention. Um, <clears throat> as, as you guys probably know, I watch a lot of the stuff on the Cartoon Network, and um, they've been doing this um, thing with the the shows that are regular shows, where it's an alien invasion. So every week a different show does a, a episode about being invaded by aliens, and this week it was a show called My Gym Partner's a Monkey, which sounds <laughs> really stupid, but it's actually pretty funny. And, um the joke is that it's a, a human kid who gets sent to an animal school because his last name happens to be Lion. So all of his schoolmates are animals, and they're very funny. And uh, <laughs> he, He's met all these different groups of kids, and there's a group of nerds who are all different species, but they're all really, really nerdy, and they mm-hmm. they live, they do stuff in the basement, you know, and they all have glasses, and they talk in funny voices. And this week they happen to be invaded by an actual alien who was disguised as a platypus. So the regular kids go down to get help from the nerds, and the nerds won't help them because they're in the middle of playing like Dungeons & Dragons or something. <laughs> but then when things get really serious, they decide that they are going to help, and they rip off their Dungeons & Dragons costumes, and they're all wearing Star Trek shirts, <laughs> like original TOS shirts. Of course. And then they decide to leap in the action, which means somebody presses the button to start the warp drive. And then they spend the next 30 seconds leaning back and forth and going, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. <laughs> And that's all they do. <laughs> but it gets them going. It just gets them going. So I just thought that was really funny that they don't even have to say anything. Like they're wearing the shirts and they're going, whoosh, whoosh. <laughs> I like that. So
1: that was good. Well, remember Maybe in that. Invasion, Iowa, when they were filming the lightsaber um, dual, and they had to make their own noises, uh-huh. and so they're going. whoosh. Yep. Whoosh. yep. It was kind of that like was that. cool. So that was very, very amusing to me. <clears throat> so, um, do you have this up? On I your do. Screen? I have. Okay. It up here then right we have now. one more thing to do, and then we're gonna mm-hmm. do the big thing. Um, we want to talk about Jimmy Dewan's ashes, which, as many of you may have heard, went up into space. And we were speculating because we didn't know much about this that um, so. You know what did they do? Was it like scattering? Mm -hmm. That's what we were assuming they do. No, your ashes go up with a whole bunch of other people's, and they go around the earth a couple times and come back. Mm -hmm. So that kind of takes the shine off it for me. (laughs) I thought you're scattered among the stars, the the moon dust, and the whole thing. But anyway, um, they lost his ashes. Yeah, but then they found them. Yeah, they they did find them
0: in New Mexico. Yeah, so that was good.
1: Yeah. Okay, so um,
0: what so, so, where did you
1: find up? this? Was this just a Google alert? Uh, no, no, no. Somebody had, I believe, posted something on Trek BBS mm-hmm. about they had heard about this, mm-hmm. and I never heard about that. I had never heard of this either. Yeah. So, well, we, we did a little investigation. We found something really wonderful. Yeah.
0: So, um, <coughs> what it is is supposedly. Um, And this has not been verified, and the guy who had posted this to the web says he hasn't verified it, but the stuff that he has seems to be proof. Is a story outline dated uh, October 15th, 1966. Oh, sorry. It's dated 1966, that William Shatner wrote an outline for a Star Trek episode and submitted it to Gene Roddenberry, and um, it didn't get made into an episode, unfortunately. But he went ahead and submitted it. So, 66 is very early. Mm -hmm. And as the guy who analyzed this pointed out, that there is some um, inconsistency in the terminology because they hadn't quite figured things out by then. Right. Um, (coughs) So, uh, he says in his little introduction to this that um, Roddenberry mentioned that he shot or brought in an outline and he read it, fearing it would be terrible. Roddenberry reported that to his amazement it was quite good and had a good flow. So, we thought we would read this for you because it's very short. It's like a page and a half. Um, and, and you had a hilarious comment about it, which I will report. Oh. Um, so, we're going to read it twice. Okay. okay I'm going to read it first. <clears throat> and I'll try and put the emphasis where it should be, even though I'm not an actor like you. So, here's the teaser. The Enterprise is sent to find out the fate of her missing sister ship, the Momentus. I love that name. <laughs> the Momentus. Near the planet Urus Three, the missing ship is sighted. Commercial Act One. The Enterprise slowly approaches the Momentus, which is hanging motionless in orbit. Hails are unanswered. There is no sign of life. And then the men, the men of the Enterprise, see that the Momentus is completely covered in a white, opaque substance. Hmm. Mm. It's not what you think it is, because yeah. I knew what I thought it was. So <laughs> it. It's not snot either. <laughs>
1: And it ain't crazy, too.
0: Kirk, Spock, and the Doctor materialize into the momentous. Though all the equipment is undisturbed, there is not a single bit of food left on the ship. Nor is there a living soul to be found. Uniforms, clothes, shoes, underwear. Underwear. Underwear! uh, Bill are all found, but their owners are gone. Quote, the whole ship seems to have been sucked dry. And we're pretty Uh, sure that's what the captain would say. Yeah. Act two. Back aboard the Enterprise, an example of the sticky substance coating the momentous is being examined. Someone notices that the momentous seems to be dangling at the end of a string of the same white substance, dangling the way an insect might dangle in a spider's web. Oh. Remember that, it's important. <laughs> Spock theorizes that it is indeed a giant spider, which has wrapped the momentous in a cocoon, then sucked the ship dry as an earth spider does the body of its prey.
1: You know, I can just hear Spock giving an explanation like that. Yeah. I, yeah. I yeah. Agree. Kirk is ready to leave
0: the area to protect the Enterprise, but it is too late. The Enterprise is being covered with a sticky white substance and cannot maneuver to escape. Soon, it is also cocooned like the Momentus. The giant spider is sighted. It is, it is coming toward them. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. Act three. This would be much better with music, <clears throat> don't you think? Yes, yes. Do you notice how this gets longer as it goes along? Mm-hmm. Like, each act is a little bit longer. <clears throat> act three. The spider descends to the top of the ship, examines them. However it does. So that. it peeks through the, the window. One. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yoo-hoo. Hello. I'm the spider. The phaser gun can't be fired. The gun ports are all gummed up by the substance. <laughs> the men all draw their pistols. Rifles are issued. The Enterprise will go down fighting. Then the spider suddenly leaves, and the, the episode is over. No, wait, that's not how it ends. <laughs> All rejoice,
1: except Spock. I uh, wait. We gotta stop there because I love. Then the spider leaves. All rejoice, and I'm picturing, yay! Except Spock. Aww. <laughs>
0: It will eat us when it gets hungry, he says, which could be in five minutes or five years. And Good estimating. This is the best line. Kirk has a plan. Yay! Yay! It actually says, Kirk has a plan, exclamation point. Yes. I just love the thought of Shatter writing this. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk has, has a, a plan. plan. Whee!
1: <laughs> he fills two separate containers. No, wait. Here's Shatner writing it. I have... <laughs> delete, 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 delete. Kirk has <laughs> a, a plan. plan. <laughs>
0: He fills two separate containers with two different gases which interact to become a deadly poison, kind of like epoxy, and tells Scotty to keep working on a way to remove the sticky substance from the Enterprise's hull. Kirk and Spock materialize to the Momentous. They restart the engines of the dead ship, set it in motion. They throw all the chairs and movable objects to the floor so that they will roll about. They program the sound system with voices and music, all to simulate movement and life on the Momentus. As they materialize out, they open the containers of gas. The gas is intermixed, filling the ship with poison. Back on the ship, uh, the Enterprise, I guess, Kirk orders the engine shut off. He well, or- then they
1: die. Yeah.
0: <laughs> he orders computers shut down. All sound must cease. All movement must stop. Crewmen are instructed to lie quietly. No man, no man, sorry, no one can even so much as sigh. I guess I had to stop breathing, right? Because the Romulans <laughs> right hear them. Remember, sound waves don't travel in space. But we're talking about a space spider. He hopes the spider will mistake the Enterprise for dead prey and move back to the Momentus, which seems alive. Because obviously the spider had no short-term memory and couldn't remember that it had already eaten all the people off the Momentus.
1: Well, and it's got two ships there now that look Pretty
0: probably exactly alike. Oh, you okay. yeah,
1: might not know.
0: Act 4. <clears throat> the spider approaches the Enterprise. It can be heard scraping against the hull of the ship. That's pretty creepy. It is creepy, yeah. The ship is shaken and rattled. <laughs> and rolled. And not stirred. <laughs> Silence. Tension. Will the spider be fooled? The spider finally leaves, approaches the noisy momentous. In a corner of the view screen not covered by the cocooning material, Kirk sees the spider approach the momentous. It pierces it with its fangs, then dies in horrible death throes as it ingests the poison. Ah-ha! The spider is dead, but there is little celebration.
1: Kirk oh. and many
0: members of his crew had friends on the momentous. We end as Scotty announces that they will be able to clean the cocooning material from the Enterprise. The Using end. zout? Probably. Or that Baking Mr. soda? Mr. Clean Magic Eraser, maybe.
1: I don't know. <laughs> the end. Wow. So that was it. A giant spider. Well, you know what? This was written very early, but it's got... A lot of the the the, the fun Trek things, like it's got a beginning kind of like Tholium Web. Yep. It's got to be very, very quiet, yep. like um, the one with the yep. Romulans. Play dead. Yeah. It's, um, it's got um, getting the creature to, to take something that will kill it, kind of like in uh, Obsession with the blood right. bait. and
0: in Doomsday Machine as well, where they got it to go after the other ship. That's right. Yep. <clears throat> So I say good work, Bill. I say uh, that's very interesting. A giant spider. <laughs> um, what, what The guy who posted this um, had a little comment, which I think is absolutely more true. Um, he says, um, flesh it out, change the spider to something a bit more alien, put a timer on the thing. The Enterprise has to break free and deliver medicine to a colony. You know, the typical mm-hmm. trying to beat the clock plot and up the personal danger to Kirk. Uh, and this might have been a halfway decent 49 minutes.
1: Mm-hmm. So I,
0: I agree with that statement. So, it's funny that um, this never came out. Actually, I shouldn't say that. Who knows? This might be the plot of one of those
1: books that Bill writes right. with uh, his friends. This person also points out, though, it would have cost half a season's budget mm-hmm. to realize the special effects. Yeah, a giant spider. Yeah. I agree. Well, couldn't they made it out of, make it out of the same pipe cleaners they made um, Sylvia and yeah, uh, what's his name out of? Korob, they probably could have. Korob? Um, Korob, I think.
0: I think they would have done, like, in that... Um, I don't think it was a Roger Corman movie, but it was a movie that Peter Graves was in where they were attacked by giant grasshoppers, and what okay. they did as a special effect was they had real grasshoppers walking across postcards of large buildings to convince you that it was walking.
1: Well, that's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Grasshoppers cool. postcards. They could have done it like that. Okay. Can we take a little break, and then we're going to do something else with this?
0: Oh, sure. Okay. So let's take a break and listen to some, some of that fab music, and we'll be right back. Okay. Hear the music. All right, so, you know, um, in TV writing... The little thing that they show right at the beginning is called the teaser. Right. And then the little bit at the end is called the tag. Right, right. This is the tag. <laughs> so it's just <laughs> to a little. The podcast, bit. yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you're going to read the thing, but it's not okay. very long, so. Well, it's not me reading it.
1: Well, that's it true. It is our I special forgot, guest. That's right, yeah.
0: So now we have, you, you've heard Web of Death read by me very badly, and now you're going to hear it read much better, much better yeah. by the woman who should know how to read this because her son wrote it. Right. Yeah. So, now I present Web of Death, read by Marjorie.
1: Marjorie Kirk. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, here's the teaser. The Enterprise is sent to find out the fate of her missing sister ship, the Momentus. Near the planet Eurus Iii, the missing ship is sighted. Act 1. The Enterprise slowly approaches the Momentus, which is hanging motionless in orbit. Hails are unanswered. There is no sign of life. It's deader than the Elks Club on a Sunday morning. And then the men of the Enterprise see that the momentous is completely covered in a white, opaque substance. Now, you know, that happened to my niece once when she was cooking. I think it was a souffle, she said, and the whole thing sort of blew up, and her kitchen was a mess. And I remember one time when my aunt was making a wedding cake for somebody, and she said there was buttercream from here to Goshen. But anyway, it's not buttercream. Kirk Spock and the doctor materialize into the momentous. Though all equipment is undisturbed, there's not a single bit of food left on the ship. Even the lunches their mothers packed for them and the food they brought back from the picnic Even all the Tupperware containers are empty and left all over the place, not even cleaned up. Nor is there a living soul to be found. Well, lucky for them, because if I walked into that mess and found a living soul, he'd wish he wasn't. Uniforms, clothes, shoes, underwear are all found, but their owners are gone. Well, let me tell you. If you've raised two boys, you know it is not at all unusual to walk into your house and find all the clothes and shoes and underwear everywhere except where they should be. And no sign of those boys. Anyway, the whole ship seems to have been sucked dry. Act 2. Back on board the Enterprise, an example of the sticky substance coating the momentous is being examined. Someone notices that the momenta seems to be dangling at the end of a string of the same white substance, dangling the way an insect might dangle in a spider's web. Now, you know what they should have done then? They should have gotten a big giant space webster and just sort of swept it down. That's what they should have done. But, you know, Jimmy, he never had any interest in helping around the house. So, of course, he doesn't think of things like... Call the the Starfleet people and say, send over that giant space Webster or the giant space vacuum with the attachment to do those things. Anyway, Spock theorizes that it is indeed a giant spider. Oh, and how long did he have to go to school to come up with that? Which has wrapped the momentous in a cocoon, then sucked the ship as dry as an earth spider does the body of its prey. Hmm. Kirk is ready to leave the area, good thinking, to protect the Enterprise, but it's too late. Well, I can tell you, he wasn't spending any time cleaning up his room. The Enterprise is being covered with a sticky white substance and cannot maneuver to escape. Soon, it is also cocooned like the momentous. Well, couldn't? what did they do? They just sat there while this was going on, and they could have gone outside, I don't know, with a... A jar of Windex and some paper towels and scrape some of it off. Anyway, here comes a giant spider. It's sighted and it's coming toward them. Okay, now these are not a bunch of little girls, so I'm hoping they don't panic. Act 3. The spider descends to the top of the ship and examines them. The phaser gun can't be fired. The gun ports are all gummed up by the substance. And seeing how things have been going, I'm pretty sure it's probably the first day of hunting season and the people who really know how to use those things are gone. The men all draw their pistols. Rifles are issued. The Enterprise will go down fighting. Fighting and sticky is what it sounds like. Then the spider suddenly leaves. Well, how about that? Goodbye, Mr. Spider could you take your ghoul with you all rejoice except spock you know i had a cousin just like spock something really good would happen and he would always see the downside that it could all turn bad we didn't like when he came to the picnic a bit it will eat us when it gets hungry he says Which could be in five minutes or five years. Well, nothing's going to wait five years to get hungry, mister. Nobody believes that. But Kirk has a plan. Way to go, Jimmy. He fills two separate containers. Now, I'm thinking Tupperware, you know, because they have that burp lid so it's nice and tight. With two different gases, which interact to become a deadly poison. Well, you know, he did do real well in that chemistry class he took and tell Scotty to keep working on a way to remove the sticky substance from the Enterprise's hull. I'm thinking Scotty must have called his mother <laughs> and said, How do I get this off? And she told him. But we don't see that. That's not in the show. Kirk and Spock materialize to the momentous. They restart the engines of the dead ship and set it in motion. They throw all the chairs and movable objects to the floor so that it looks even messier than it did so that they will roll about. They program the sound system with voices and music, all to simulate movement and life on the momentous. This sounds an awful lot like a party Jimmy had one weekend when I was out of town, and he still says it didn't happen, but I did come home to a sound system filled with voices and music and chairs thrown on the floor and clothes and not a living soul in sight, and he did try to tell me it was a giant space spider. I didn't believe that. It was a barn yesterday. Anyway, as they materialize out, they open the containers of gas. The gases intermix, filling the ship with poison. Back on the ship, Kirk orders the engines shut off. He orders computers shut down. All sound must cease. All movement must stop. Now, I used to try that. I go, everybody be quiet here. I need a minute to think you're giving me a roaring headache. I hope it works better for him than it did for me. Crewmen are instructed to lie quietly. No one can even so much as sigh. He hopes the spider will mistake the Enterprise for dead prey and move back to the momentous, which seems alive. Or at least lively. Act 4. The spider approaches the Enterprise. It can be heard scraping against the hull of the ship. The ship is shaken and rattled, kind of like that tornado that came whipping through town on Easter Sunday several years back. I remember that. That was pretty scary. Silence. Tension. Will the spider be fooled? The spider finally leaves, approaching the noisy momentous. In a corner of the view screen, not covered by the cocooning material, Kirk sees the spider approach the momentous. It pierces it with its fangs, then dies in horrible death throes as it ingests the poison. The spider is dead, but there is little celebration, don't you know? Kirk and many members of his crew had friends on the momentous. We end as Scotty announces that his mother told him how they'd be able to clean that cocooning material from the Enterprise so they all sit down and have some cake and coffee. End of story. Well, Marjorie, that was was a lovely uh, dramatic interpretation. That was so good. Oh, that was the best. That was absolutely the best. You know, I bet if Gene Roddenberry had heard Marjorie reading this, he would have bought it. He would have hired her to read all the, the story synopses to him. I think so. They're much better that way. They much, are. Much better that way. Yep. I'm
0: so happy. That was just, that was fabulous.
1: <laughs> I'm so glad when Marjorie comes to visit. Uh, I'm she glad. has such a unique perspective. And we learn about Jim that he threw wild parties, uh, yes. and left his underwear and everything all over the house, and tried to use excuses like a giant spider messed up
0: the house. Yeah. It's true.
1: Oh. <sighs> And he knows nothing about using a giant space Webster or a giant space vacuum. Oh, why would he? Boys. Just run
0: away. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, that was just fabulous. Um, okay,
1: do you want to do anything else or should we just end I it? I think there? we have got a show full and a half already.
0: I think I agree with you. So I hope you all enjoyed that. Um, I'll put up the link to the actual place where you can read the whole thing with the comments if you want to. Um, and see what that's about. But, yeah, that was a real find. I'm glad we got to, to talk about that. Yeah. So um, we'll be back next time with more newsy things, more new fun stuff. I think um, not Boston Legal next time because no. of the thing being postponed. But there's just oh, so much other stuff to talk
1: about. Because Bill is everywhere. everywhere.